Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey, well, how many people are happy to be in the house of God today? Come on. Yeah. So glad that you're here. Um, If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is JJ, and alongside my wife Liz and I, we have the honor of being one of the pastors here at Journey Church, and we are so pumped for what God is doing in our community. I feel the need to be really loud right now. I feel the need to always welcome our first-time guests. Um, February has been such an amazing season for our church. It seems like every Sunday there's more and more people who are visiting for the first time. And so if that's you today, I know we already did this, but I just want to say if you're looking for a church, look no further. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome home. Journey Church, would you help us welcome them one more time? Come on. Yeah. Thank you for... We just got one question. Where you been? I mean... God's been doing some stuff. No, we're actually really humbled and and excited about um, all the growth that we've been seeing and also excited about how the team's been stepping up. I I mentioned yesterday, uh, last Sunday, that um, because of the growth in our church, we've been needing some more small group leaders and people to lead and and pastor and walk with people. And I actually had one person in our church, and I don't really promote small groups from the stage like a particular group, but I want to let this one out of the bag, which you know, um, we have a certified Christian counselor on a, who's here at our church. And he said, you know, I love psychology, but I also love Christianity. And I want to do something for my local church that's going to be able to bridge those two together. And so he actually is opening up a brand new small group that you can sign up today. It's called Finding Wholeness. And if you struggle with emotional issues, mental health issues, um, you can go to the blue tent and you can meet this young man and his small group starts this week. And uh, so why don't you give it up for the amazing people in our church who are willing to, yeah. Emotional issues. Um, if one of your emotional issues is social anxiety and you can't meet him because you, <laughs> that's your issue, um, you, can also, you can also sign up online. You can also sign up online. So we just made it, made it possible for you in all, all ways, shapes, and forms. Um, and so, and I know, I want to just echo what uh, Pastor Jenny said. Um, we've got a pop-up church coming up here in Waterford Lakes. Uh, we're excited about that. And uh, we really need some help. We need people serving. We need people, um, you know, hanging out with the kids, raising up world changers. If you don't like kids, uh, we could use you holding signs, waving at people. If you don't like people, I don't know what to do with you. Um, keep coming to church, I guess, and maybe God will shift that in your life. You can sign up at the Blue Town. We'd love for you to be a part of that as well. And let me just say really quickly, you're gonna hear a lot about this in the next six months. This is the first time I've officially talked about it. I'm really pumped for Journey Leadership Academy to be launching in September of this year. It's fully accredited. It's fully accredited. You can apply for Pell Grants. You can apply for, um, for all the stuff the government gives out for you to apply to any local college. You can use those same funds to apply your FAFSA here at Journey Church. And so if you feel called um, to get a college degree and to get closer to Jesus at the same time, we're going to afford you that opportunity. You can do that right here at Journey Church. And so we're pumped. Space is limited. We don't have a ton of space, but if you're interested in being a part, I'd love for you to, uh, to come out uh, to it. Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We are part three of a sermon series, a collection of talks that we've been calling XO, Love, Sex, and Marriage. Have you been enjoying this talk? Anybody who's been helping you? Good to know. Good to know. Anybody find somebody in this sermon series? No? Okay. 
Anybody leave somebody? Amen. Because it, I'll take either. I'll take either or. Um, really, it's just about God doing in your relationships, whatever he needs to do. And uh, we've been talking about relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, being single, being married, being divorced, being engaged, being complicated, wherever you are in every season and status. Um, we, God has a word for you. And today we're going to be reading, like I said, from Deuteronomy. And it goes like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all. Somebody say all. all. Your heart with all. all. Your soul and with all. Yeah, you don't need your strength. You don't need a college degree uh, to discern that God wants all of you. <laughs> now, if you've been at church for any amount of time, you've probably heard the phrase, God loves you. But what might be a new revelation for you is not just that he loves you, but that he wants you. And not just wants you, but wants all of you. And it's a very disconcerting and very unsettling statement if we just take it at face value. Because even in our most intimate relationships, there are boundaries. Like even in marriage, when everything that I'm supposed to have is supposed to be yours, and everything that you're supposed to have is supposed to be mine, like... That sounds good in theory. But anybody who's ever been married knows that, you know, well, eh. I mean, we'll share some stuff, you know, but that's my toothbrush. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't touch my toothbrush, okay? And uh, we'll share some stuff, but that's my soap, okay? And, uh, and there's things like that. And I remember the first time um, Liz crossed that line in our marriage. And uh, it was at a restaurant. And we had the menu came out and I ordered what I wanted. And I thought she ordered what she wanted. <laughs> I thought. Until both meals came out and she looked at what she ordered and she looked at what I ordered and she liked her food, but she thought, but his food looks great. <laughs> now, this is a point of contention here. I know that some people are on one side of the fence on this and some people on the other. But what she did next was the very first fight of our marriage ever. She took her fork and proceeded to stab the chicken on my plate. And she didn't just stab it. She had the audacity to stab it, get her knife, cut it. She's just all up in my business, just eating what I ordered. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. what are you doing right now? Okay, this is an entree, entree, not a sampler, an entree. Okay, it's called an entree. Not your tray, my tray, entree. If you wanted it, you should have ordered it. It's what I ordered, it's what I wanted. Now, now just be honest, okay? I need to know who I'm, I'm ministering to today because it helps some people. Raise your hand if you're married and you think that's okay to do. Like, you're married, you're so, oh my God. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the service, we're going to uh, offer you an opportunity to give your lives to Jesus and <laughs> save them. It's not cool. It's not okay. If you wanted it, you should have ordered it. And when I asked her why she do that, she goes, well, I just grew up in a home where everything was everybody's. Well, not here. Okay. We need some boundaries. Boundaries can actually be really healthy for a relationship. How many people know that? It's good to have boundaries. If you're a married couple, you should have some boundaries between, you know, being a married couple and having kids. Like the kids need to know, like when the doors lock, don't knock. Just saying. Mom and dad are busy. Worshiping. Worshiping. <laughs> Worshiping. You know? You need to have some boundaries with your friends, you know? There's some things we can talk about, some things we can't talk about. There's times to call me. There's times you can't call me. If you're newlywed, you need to have some boundaries with your in-laws. Don't say amen too hard now, okay? <laughs> I love my father-in-law. He's a servant. He will do anything for you at any time. Three in the morning, you need something, he will get it done for you. He's that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that will come mow your lawn, but you didn't ask him to which I really appreciated, except the time that he came to do it, I was in my drawers. And so 
I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I love you. You're a servant, but, you know, just call, bro. Just call. <laughs> I appreciate you. I mean, I, I'm not going to cut it. I guess somebody has to cut it, so I'm really grateful that you're here. But boundaries are helpful. The truth is that every relationship in your life gets better with boundaries. There's only one relationship in your, in your life that actually gets worse with boundaries, and that's your relationship with God. With God, there should actually be no boundaries. And the more boundaries you set up, the worse your relationship gets. I want to prove that to you by sharing not just a story, but the most embarrassing story of anything that has happened to me in the last two to three years of my life. Are you ready? I've only told this story to two other people before in, in the 915 service. <laughs> but you guys are special. I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Okay? So I go into the doctors. I go to get checked up. All right? And while I'm there, you know how sometimes the nurse, he or she comes out and does all the preliminary stuff. So the nurse is doing the preliminary stuff with me and, uh, you know, the blood pressure and, and the height and uh, the pulse and all that. And, uh, and it's all good. And as I'm hearing her speak, I'm hearing her accent. And I hear that she's from up north, which is I'm always looking for an opportunity to just love on people. I always used to look for an opportunity to share the gospel with people. Now I just look for an opportunity to love on people because I'm understanding that the gospel comes through love. And so it's not so much about me forcing Jesus down their throat, but showing them that there's a God that lives inside of me who's real and alive. So I just wanted to love on her. And I was like, hey, it sounds like you're from up north. She's like, yeah, I'm from Connecticut. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I know people in Connecticut. Guys, we went to the same church. We had the same pastor. I'm pretty sure, I think we might be related. <laughs> and then as I, the connections are starting to develop, I'm like, hey, this is so cool. Hey, I got a church in Winter Park. She's like, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, everybody's surprised when I say that. Oh, man, I'm a pastor. You should come check it out. Do you love it? She's like, I got kids. Are they going to love it? I'm like, they're going to love it. We got the best youth ministry in the world. And... Um, <laughs> JYE up there. And all our teenagers have been joining us on the, on the, give it up for our teenagers. They're up there right now. Yeah. So she was like, man, that's awesome. I want to come visit. I was like, dope. Awesome. And then the doctor came in and the doctor proceeded to do his checkups. And then at a point in the checkup, he said, okay, we're almost done. I said, cool. He said, now I just... I just, I just need you to drop your pants. I was like, I was like, uh, I'm looking at the girl that I just bonded with. <laughs> who is no longer a stranger now. It's different when you don't know them. You know what I'm saying? This is like a person, like we've connected. Like you don't want to see your pastor like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm there. And I'm like, do we have to? He's like, yeah, you have to. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm not trying to make eye contact, you know? And so I do what I could do with one hand, you know, I pull it down. And with the other hand, I'm like, I'm like, can you tell from there? <laughs> I think I'm good there, doc, you know? And, uh, and he's, like, he's like, no, I got to see it. He goes, I know it's uncomfortable to uncover, but here's what, what he was kind of saying. Um, what's hidden can't be healed. What's hidden can't be healed. And I feel like for a lot of us, we're willing to give God certain parts of our lives. But the other parts of our lives, like a lot of us will give God our hands and a lot of us will give God our hearts. But here's the title of our message. We'll hold back the private parts. So it's like, maybe you just got a Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for your whole life, but it's like, oh God, take my marital life. God, take my financial life. God, take my business life. Take my thought life, but don't touch my sex life. 
I'm going to talk about sex today. And I know that when I say that, everybody in church just cringed and got tight and got just frozen. Everybody's like, this is not the Sunday I should have invited my mom. <laughs> Promise you, mommy doesn't talk like this all the time. I just, it's like, this is not the sermon I want to invite my girlfriend to. I'm so sorry. It's, Babe, I promise I'm not trying to send a message. I don't know what he's. <laughs> and I get it because you're used to going to church where we talk about stuff you don't care about. Like, like the symbolism of the dragon and the fourth trumpet in the book of Revelations. Like, that's what we want, right? We want to pontificate upon theory and, and all these cool, you know, revelation things. But, but how about we talk about stuff that we're really going through? How about we talk about stuff that like real life, like that we're actually handling? How about that? Because you know what the fact of the matter is? If I was to talk about alcoholism, maybe 10% of you guys would relate. If I were to talk about comparison, maybe 70% of you guys would relate. But 100% of the people in this room today are sexual beings. And we got to talk about it. Because it's the things that we're struggling with, okay? All right? And some are like, well, I got my kid in here today. Well, we have journey kids. You should have. Just kidding. It's not going to be vulgar or anything like that. Don't worry. I'm glad they're here. They're going to hear about this in a biblical way because no one ever told me about this. Like the church is being quiet on one of the most major issues that we're going through right now. 36% of the internet is porn. One out of every four searches on Google are sexual in nature. One out of every 10 children will be sexually abused before the age of 18. And the number one cause for divorce is infidelity. Can somebody please talk about this? Because I never heard about it in church. In church, they wouldn't talk about it. They would this is the only thing they told you about sex in church. Don't do it. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Sex is filthy. Save it for your wife. <laughs> what? That's the only thing we're gonna. That's the only thing we're gonna talk about. And it, it didn't hit me until years later that the reason why they didn't talk about it is because they were all struggling with it. And you can't describe the sun if you've never left the cave. And so I want to share with you today because I know this is what we're wrestling with. I know this is what we're going with. And, and I'm sorry. I know this can make some people feel uncomfortable. We got to do it because there's a husband in, right, in this room right now who is struggling with pornography and can't love their wife the way they're supposed to because their brain is scarred with these images. There's a wife in this room right now who can't let her husband touch her because when he touches her, she shrivels with anxiety because he's not thinking about her husband. She's thinking about that person who mistreated her and abused the family's trust in the summer of 1989 when they took advantage of her. There's a single person in here right now who's trying to live their Bible app out, but they're having trouble because every time they read their Bible app, their Tinder app is sending them notifications. There are people here right now, there are teenagers right here going through puberty. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and, there are, and there are married people in this room right now who have not been intimate in three or four months. And we got to talk about it. Can we talk about it? Okay, so, so God wants all the parts, all the private parts. And I'll tell you the parts that he wants. The first thing he wants is the shameful parts. He wants the shameful parts. It's crazy to me how we all shriveled and cringed when I said the word sex in church. Like, it was God's idea. Like, He's the one who created it. Why do we get so weird talking about it? Like, sex is good. Amen. I thought so. I thought if I'd ever get an amen in church, it'd be when I said that. I said sex is good. Amen. amen. Single people are like, I mean, that's what they say. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know, you know, but <laughs> that's what they tell me. Um, <laughs> It's good. Listen, when God made Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And he wasn't talking about agriculture. <laughs> when God made Adam and Eve, after he made Eve, the Bible says that Adam looked at her and said, he, the first thing he said was, at last. At last. 
And then, and then, then he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In the Old Testament, that's the first time we ever see poetry. You see it a lot in Psalms, but it's the first time we see a poetic, a poetic uh, uh, literary form in the Old Testament. It's right there, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, the first love song ever written was by Adam. He was saying, your body came out of my body, baby. Come on. If you know that reference, you just got saved. You know what I mean? You just got saved. He was excited about it. Listen, I'm making humor and I'm making it fun because I just want you to know that sex was designed to be pleasurable and enjoyable. So why is something so good make us feel so shamed? Because chances are we were introduced to it in an inappropriate way at a young age. I took my, my boy Zane to Buca de Beppo. You guys know this restaurant? It went for my, my mother-in-law's, uh, my mom's birthday. And we went there. And, and as we were there, um, I took him to the restroom. And I forgot that the restrooms are like super inappropriate at Buca de Beppo. Like they got pictures of women and all this stuff. And so Zane is washing his hands in the sink. He looks up and there's a picture of a woman um, in her underwear. And without me saying a word, like I didn't even see it. Without me saying a word, he's like, Ah! Straight, I'm not even lying. He just points, closes his eyes, and screams. Ah! I'm like, what happened? He's like, I'm like, it's okay, Poppy. It's okay. Thank God I was there. Because in a moment, first off, who taught him that? He's five, and he already knew it wasn't right. That he wasn't ready to at five because it's inside of us already. He felt guilt. Now, my job was to make sure that that guilt didn't turn into shame. See, guilt and shame were different. Um, the best way I can explain it as a parent is guilt says, I shouldn't have yelled at my kid. Shame says, I'm a bad parent. Guilt is an instance. Shame is an identity. And we got to be sure that the instances in our life don't speak to our identity in Christ. Listen, Paul said it this way. Paul said it this way. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He said, I don't really understand myself. Somebody say amen. Amen. Amen, Paul. I can't get you on the other stuff, but I got you here. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, you can tell that there's some remorse. You can tell that there's some guilt in Paul's language. But notice Paul's emphasis. Do, do, do. He's talking about his actions, but he never lets guilt turn into uh, to shame. Because just a few verses later, he says in chapter 8, just a few verses later, but therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. You are free. You keep telling me about what you did. Paul's like, it doesn't matter what you did. What matters is who you belong to. And you belong to Jesus. You are in Christ. I sinned, but you are loved. I messed up, but you are forgiven. I made a mistake, but you are chosen. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have seen it. But he still wants you. You got to understand that what you did is not who you are, somebody. Somebody is here at church today feeling so ashamed of what they've done and you, won't, you literally won't even allow God to love you because you feel like you don't deserve it. You keep looking at what you did and God's like, what you did has been paid for on the cross. Now let's talk about who you are. That's a, a revelation for anybody who just became a Christian. I used to smoke five times a week and now I smoke two times a week. Amen, progress. <laughs> who you're becoming. Because the truth is, all your sins have been forgiven. Now you just got to stick this thing out. And what changes us is not our discipline. We've tried that. It's failed. What changes us is the love of Christ. We just stay connected to him. And no condemnation, no shame. I'm going to keep working it out. Got to give him. 
The shameful parts, as Zane was so upset because we got him a Nintendo Switch recently. And I put the Nintendo Switch really high on the mantle of my television. And, and, and I told him, don't touch it. And, the, and he thought I was being mean. I didn't want him to play with it. But I told him, don't touch it. And the reason why uh, he went, after, he, after I left, of course, he started climbing the chair. I went to go touch it. And the reason why he went to go touch it was because if you know anything about the Nintendo Switch, like it connects to the television, but it also you could play it in your hand. And so he wanted to take it off the television to play it in his hand. Thank goodness my wife caught him while he was like climbing the chair. And I was like, don't do that. Put it there. He was so upset. Oh, dad's going to be so mad. He's, he's going to love me anymore. I'm like, what? He came up to me. He's like, dad, I'm sorry. Don't be mad. Don't be mad. But I, I went to touch the thing and I'll take it. And I'm sorry. And I'm like, bro, I will always love you. What are you talking about? And by the way, I didn't want you not to take it out of its place because I didn't want you to play with it. I want you to play with it, but I want you to play with it in the right place. And the reason why I put the Nintendo Switch up there is to preserve it. And the reason why I told you not to climb is to protect you. God has a safe place for sex. And you got to keep that passion in its place. And he put it in a safe place, listen, to preserve it and protect you. It's not that he doesn't want you to play with it. He just wants you to play with it in the right place. To preserve it and protect you. And here's the right place for sex, marriage. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 through 19 says, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your spring in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain and husband be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife or husband of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Guys, the Bible just said breasts. <laughs> we need to talk about this. And I think the reason why the Bible says the word is because he's trying to release us from the stigma and taboo of the topic. And by the way, I'm sharing this with you for two reasons. One, because this dude's married. Does this guy look like someone who is not enjoying himself? I'm just, I just need to say this because some people don't want to get married because they think that when you get married, sex dies, that it's boring, that it's not fun anymore. And then you see that in every single movie you've ever watched. Maybe you've seen this movie before. There's a husband and a wife there in bed. They both got glasses for some reason, and they're both reading books. Like, who does that? I've never sat in a bed next to my wife and read a book. But in this movie, they're both reading books, right? You've seen this movie? It's every movie you've ever seen, okay? And then, and then the husband looks over at the wife, and he's like, hey. You want to, what do you think? You feeling it tonight? Like a puppy dog asking for like treats, you know? And then the wife, always in every movie, the wife looks over and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Is it your birthday already? <laughs> and then she shuts off the life and go to bed. And it was like, well, I never want to get married because that's, listen, I, I, I wish, I wish they would bring some of these cameras over to my house. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm not trying to be nasty. Her parents are over here. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, my sex life is thrilling. And that's not just me. Some people are like, I'm never coming back to this church ever again. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we need your parking spot. Um, anyway, so. <laughs> Here's what studies show. Studies show that sex is actually more pleasurable for married couples than one night stands. Like, people who are not even Christian have said that. But we shouldn't even have to go to the stats for that. The Bible says it. The way you enjoy it the most. And the second reason I bring this up, listen, is because the moment I said sex should be reserved for marriage, shame swept over this building for some people. 
And you got to remember that the first thing I said is that God wants the shame. Don't let that shame in. Don't feel that way. This is not about you're a horrible person or no, forget about that. But maybe God is starting to touch on the guilt to, to switch something inside of you. So let me help you out. If you're single, wait. If it's already too late, that's fine. Listen, and, and you're in a relationship, stop. If, if you're, if we'll say, well, it's hard because we live together. Maybe you should consider, this is hard, but maybe you should consider moving out. And you say, well, you just want us to break up. No, I want to save your relationship. Did you know, this is a secular study. Did you know that couples who cohabitate before marriage are 50% more likely to divorce? I'm trying to help you. Well, it's complicated. We have a kid together. It's complicated. I can't live by myself because I don't make money. Fine. Come to me after service. I'll buy you an air mattress. We can set it up in the living room. Maybe we need to just separate. You can't live, move out. Fine. But they sleep in different rooms. I'm just trying to help you. I mean, I didn't expect a lot of amens there. I get it. It's tough. It's hard. But it might be time. All right? If, if you're married, here's my advice for you. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just made friends with every husband at Journey Church right now. I'm like, baby, I love this church. You need to come here more often. Listen, to, it's our first time. I'm coming back. Listen to the man of God. You didn't even want, you didn't even want to come to church today. Now you're all like, we're, I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here, babe. Listen, do it. Why? Because I have counseled hundreds of married couples, and I can tell you that the first thing to go in every relationship that goes south is the sex life. Always. All right? So going back to the single people and people in the relationship and the teenagers, they're like, yeah, that's easy for you to say you're married, but, but it's hard. You know, you don't know. I got, I got some needs. Okay, well, that's why God doesn't just want the shameful parts. He wants the passionate parts, too. He wants the passionate parts. A lot of people ask me, why did God give me these desires then? And they get all upset. I don't understand. Why do I have these desires? You know, why wouldn't God just flip the switch and turn the desires on like after marriage? Could you imagine that? That'd be so cool. Like while you're serving God and you're a Christian, like the desires just off, you just have no desire. And then you get married and like right when the officiant says, I now pronounce you man and wife, it's like he says amen. And then all of a sudden it's like a, like a spiritual switch. You're like, yeah, that'd be like the shortest reception ever, you know? But it doesn't happen that way. People want to know, why did he put this desire in me? Listen, for the same reason he put the tree in the garden. Do you remember that story? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Look at it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You know what hit me for the first time in my life? I've been studying the book Bible my whole life. Today in my study time, this week in my study time, it hit me like it's never hit me before. He said, you got to take care of the garden. In other words, he had to take care of every tree. In the garden. In other words, God was asking him to take care of a tree that he was not allowed to eat from. Which should really encourage some people. Because he didn't say bury your desire. He didn't say cut off your desire. He didn't say burn your desire. Like that's what they told me when I was growing up. You got a problem? Take a cold shower. <laughs> it's not going to help, bro. It's testosterone. Like... I don't think testosterone washes away in a cold shower. Like, I got hormones here, okay? He didn't say bury it. He didn't say cut it off. He didn't say burn it. He said take care of the desire. Well, I've got, I, I have needs. I have, I get it. Teenagers, from the ages of 12 to 16, your hormones increase by 600%. I'm sorry. 
but it's not about what you have. That's not what Genesis teaches us. Genesis teaches us it's not about what we have, it's about what we feed on. So it's not a fact that we have the desire. The question is, are you feeding the right desires? Because when feeding that desire is when we're not taking care of it the right way. And so listen, single people, let me help you out. I know you got some desires, I know you got some needs, but maybe the Instagram accounts that you're following are not helping those desires. Like, well, you know, the only reason why I follow that is because, you know, I'm, I'm into fitness. <laughs> Bro, we seen you with your shirt off. You're not into fitness. <laughs> Don't even come at me with that. Don't even come at me with that. Like, come on, man. Come on, maybe that's not helping. Like, I know we got desires. Maybe we're feeding the wrong ones. Let me talk to, to, uh, to husbands really quickly. Um, husbands, like, like I, I appreciate the movies that you watch and the shows you watch and the magazines that you watch. I'm sure that's all good. But please understand that 90% of the women that you admire physically have been photoshopped. And your wife, no matter how many sit-ups, no matter how many beach body programs she submits to, is not going to ever look like that girl in the magazine. But if that's what you feed yourself, that becomes your desire, then your wife will no longer bring you pleasure. Wives, let me talk to you for a second. I know that your love language is romance and you want the sweetness of the guy to help you and bring you out. Can I just tell you, the date that he has planned for you is not going to be like the one on ABC's The Bachelor. <laughs> they got a budget for that thing, okay? Homeboy's going to bring you chocolates. Appreciate it, all right? But, it's a, it's a, but if that's your standard, if that's what you're feeding yourself, are you with me today? If that's what you're feeding yourself, then that's going to be your appetite and the person you're married to can't feel, fulfill that appetite. Liz, listen, I know this, and because Liz, she just started working out now, and she's also doing this intermittent fasting, where she eats for eight hours and doesn't eat for the rest of the hours, which, I don't know, 24 minus eight, you did the math, I'm a preacher, not a mathematician, and so she does that, and so, and so she's just about lost as much weight as she can by abstaining, because it's not just about what you're not doing, it's about what you're also ingesting. So now she said, so it's been good. I've lost a lot of weight by not eating, but now I think I need to change the things I eat. For a second now, I've just been talking about the things we need to stop ingesting. But can I tell you, there are some things that we need to start ingesting. If you're single, let me help you. It's not that you starve yourself. It's that you feed your soul the right things. Feed your soul a, a small group. Feed your soul some worship music. Feed your soul a dream team. Get on a team. Feed your soul production. Feed your soul working with the Journey Kids. Feed your soul being a host and helping people find their seats. Feed your soul in the parking team. Feed your soul in Waterford Lakes. Feed your soul by, by, by getting involved and getting connected to God. If you're married, you got to feed your soul and feed your spouse. Husbands don't understand why their wives aren't turned on. I'm just trying to be intimate, but I'm not, but because, because, bro, she's not going to be turned on by you just laying naked on the couch when she comes out the shower. <laughs> that might do it for you, but that's not doing it for her. You don't just got to feed your soul. You got to feed her. You got, you got to serve her. My wife has told me on multiple occasions, the sexiest thing you could ever do for me is wash the dishes. <laughs> that has changed the way I see chores. She's been gone all weekend. I told the boys, we are cleaning this house. When mom gets back, we are going all in. I gave each of them a toothbrush. I said, scrub the grout. <laughs> it's going to be spotless. Why are we working like this, dad? Because mom's coming home. <laughs> Women, if you want to get your husband turned on, not much you need to do. It's probably already there. But I will tell you that his problem is not his sex drive. Men don't cheat because their sex drive isn't being met. Men treat because their ego is not being met. Can I help somebody? He doesn't need to know that he has some place to, you know, to release. He needs a place where he feels like a man. And you can help him by bigging his head up with the littlest things that he does. 
I'm telling you, husbands are real quiet because they're going to let me do this for them. Liz is so good at this. She speaks life into me over the stupidest stuff, and I love it. She comes home with the groceries. I, um, I put the thing on the trunk. I pull out 20 bags at one time. Ah! I look at her, lick my lips. And she says things to me like, baby, you are so good at that. How do you do that? I'm like, it's the glutes, babe. It's the glutes. It's the do it that way. I'm serious. You got to speak life into him. The little things, you got to speak life into him. Speak, speak hope into him. Speak strength into him. Feed him. He doesn't just want the passionate parts. He wants the connected parts. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love is tripart. Heart, soul, strength. Here's one of the greatest lies you will ever hear. It is perpetuated by, by Christians and non-Christians sometimes that sex is just physical. Lie. If sex is just physical, why do you still remember everyone you had sex with if it's just physical? Or you said, well, you know, it's just physical. I, I would remember all the physical contact I had. Really? So you remember the last person you high-fived? <laughs> I don't think so. Because there's another part of you that's joining with that person when you become intimate. It's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.15. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, two become one. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. It's called a soul tie. It's when two people join together and we try and leave them, but we can't because we're bonded. It's, 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 uh, uh, the best way I can explain it to you is like this piece of paper. There is nothing wrong with this yellow piece of paper. It is perfectly fine. But last night in the dark, I connected this piece of paper to another piece of paper. Now these two pieces of papers are joined. And now I wake up in the morning and I don't want to be joined to this paper anymore. So you know what? I don't like you. It was fun last night, but I'm out. No, I don't like you. I'm out. I want to break up. I, I want to break up. Okay, but we got a kid now. Okay, well, I'll see the kid, but I won't see you. I, I, I'll deal with you, but I won't, I won't deal with this. I, 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 I want to I break up. And we try. But the problem is, because we've been bonded, every time we try, pieces of us are stuck. This is why, people, this is why you're having trouble fully loving that person you're trying to be with right now. Because how can you all of yourself when there's still pieces of yourself attached to the last how you don't even have a whole heart to give how can you this is why it's so hard to leave that person who's no good for you even though you need to know to leave them because you're stuck and the more you pull the more it rips and the more pain you endure and the, the more you try and get away the more it hurts and there's just pieces of you all over the place it's called a soul tie. And it feels hopeless because by the time I'm in my 30s, I've got eight pieces of me floating around somewhere. Well, good news is we got a guy named Jesus. This is what the Bible says in the same passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians, same passage of Scripture. Paul says this. Here's the solution. 1 Corinthians 6.14, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. I was so confused when I first read this. I was like, this needs to be a separate chapter. Why is God combining resurrection we're restoration. That makes no sense to me. 
Until you realize that early on in Christian history, it was actually considered a sin to get cremated and to spread your ashes. Weird, right? But the theologian at the time thought, if you really believe in the resurrection, how do you expect God to bring you back to life if all of your ashes are scattered all over the world? To which my first response is like, really? That's your scientific objection to resurrection? Like, that's the thing you can't get your mind around? Not the whole coming back to life part? The getting the pieces back together? Until, you know when the church had a change in, in, uh, in doctrine? When they started to get martyred. Christians started getting fed to lions. They started getting cut in half. Half the body was thrown in the ocean. Half the body, half the body was set on fire and burned alive. Then they had to change their theology because they knew that those martyrs were going to be in heaven. And then they said to themselves, wow, maybe God is powerful enough after all ooh, to bring back the, mm, that the peace that was swallowed by the lion, that the peace that was thrown into the ocean, that the peace that was swallowed up by the devil, maybe when God resurrects somebody, he gets all the pieces and he brings them back together. And the new body that is formed is more beautiful has got more glory it's more healed it's more together than it's ever been in your life maybe god can take a piece of you that you left with sharon and a piece of you that you left with sam and a piece of you that you left with bobby and a piece of you that you left with jenny he can take it all when you give your life to jesus he restores it my final point. He doesn't just want the connected parts. Hear me. He wants the painful parts too. Here's what I love about God, our healer, Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was wounded. Somebody say wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. A couple of thoughts on this passage. First off, he said that he can heal your piercings and your bruises. That's, that's, a, that's a big, that's the thing. He said, your wounds and your bruises. A wound is on the outside. And God says, I can heal you in a way where there won't be any evidence of what happened to you. Have you ever met somebody who got so transformed by Jesus that when they get around in a small group and they share their testimony, you're like, no, not you. That was a God who healed any evidence of pain. You don't even know it anymore. You mean you used to what? He healed me. What can I say? All the evidence of it is he can do that in your life. But not just the wounds. He said the bruises too. A bruise is different than a wound because a wound is a cut that you see on the outside, but the bruise is internal bleeding. He said, I won't just heal the evidence of your lifestyle. I'll heal the root of your lifestyle, the thing on the inside that's causing you to live that way, that's causing you to make those decisions. I'm going to heal those things. And here's how I'm going to heal it. Here's how I'm going to heal it. Because I used to think healing was one thing and it turns out that it's not. I used to think that healing was taking away the struggle. And so I need to tell you guys something today that I've, I've, I've never shared in a sermon. Years ago when Liz and I first got married, pornography almost ruined my marriage. Not her, me. Ruined it. And for years I struggled because for years no one ever taught me what healing really is. And so every time I would mess up or make a mistake, it would be guilt and there would be shame. And I would wrestle and I would doubt and I would wonder if God was even there, if he could even deliver me or set me free. But then I read this passage one more time. Can we throw it up? The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. Peace, y'all. See, I used to think that healing was absence of a struggle, that healing was absence of pain, that healing was absent of a past. Turns out healing is when God puts peace 
on top of the struggle. When God puts peace on top of the worry, when God puts peace on top of the embarrassment, when God puts peace on top of the shame, because it's only when peace comes on top that you can stay in this thing long enough for God to do the peace on top of it. On top of it. Let me get the, this is the best way I can explain it to you. I heard this song, New Wine, and I thought, wow, what a great illustration. Because I think that's what God wants to do in your life today. I looked up the process of making wine. And everybody knows, hold me out real quick, Jody. Would you hold my microphone for me? Everybody knows the process of making wine, right? At least I thought I did. All I remembered, though, was that when you make wine, you got to crush the grapes. Remember that, right? Seen that part? And so, so when you make wine, you know, yeah, you crush it, right? Crush the grapes. This is you. You were crushed. Somebody did you dirty. Somebody you were intimate with cheated on you. Some of you guys are struggling with masturbation right now, pornography. I said it in church. You need to hear it because God's going to free you from that. Sleeping around, caught up, you got issues. And all your life up until this point right here has been this, guys. Your whole life, you've just been getting beat and squashed and crushed. And look what you're left with. Pope. And this is what you feel like right now. Worthless, broken, and empty. And if there was anything good inside of you, he took it from me. If there was anything good inside of me, she took it from me. But then I discovered the second part of making wine. Do you know this? The first part is the crushing. But the second part is the yeast. In order to make wine wine, you got to take what's left and add yeast to it. And when you add yeast to it, what was turns into something new. Here's what God told me to tell you. It's not about what happened to you. It's about what you add to what happened to you. You might got pulp. Hear me, you might got pulp. But if you add peace to your pulp, you'll end up with wine. If you add hope to your healing, you might end up with wine. If you add grace to your disgrace, you might end up with wine. If you add faith to your folly, you might end up with wine. If you add love to your lacerations, you might end up with wine. If you add the sun to your shame, you might end up with wine. If you add love to what happened to you, you might end up with wine. If you add Jesus to what's jacked up in your life, you might end up with wine it's not what's been taken it's what's been added and if you add Jesus to a broken life stay standing stay standing what God wants to do in your life what God wants to do in your life is not about what he took away from you it's about what he wants to add to you and today he wants to add hope and mercy and grace forgiveness A new beginning, a new start. Right here, right now, somebody needs to add ease to their crushing. Add mercy to their shame. And end up with wine. With wine, with wine, with wine. Somebody here today, heads bowed, eye closed. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to add the yeast to the wine. 
All heads bowed, all eyes closed. If you're here right now and you want to make that decision to give your life to Jesus, when I count to three, I want you to shoot your right hand up to the sky. Nobody looking, nobody's turning around. On three, one, two, three, you want to make a decision. I need you, Jesus, because I'm, I'm broken. Things happened to me when I was a kid. I was mistreated. I was abused. Nobody ever knew. But today I'm going to add something to that hurt. Today I'm going to add something to that pain. Today I'm going to add something to my shame. I'm going to add some Jesus. I'm going to add some grace. On three, if that's you, raise your right hand. One, two, three, all over this building right now. Come on, I see your hand, brother. I see your hand, uncle. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Go, put your hand down. Church, pray this prayer with me right now. Father God, I give you my Pope. Add your peace. Forgive me, Jesus. I want to start fresh in you today. I can't be perfect, but I'll stay connected. Erase my shame. Take my passion, break the connections, and transform my pain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.